What should our response be? What should our reaction be when somebody says or does something wrong to us? We're going to talk about that today and a lot more on BibleStudyPodcasts.org, starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome. You are listening to BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Today is Monday, January the 31st of 2011, and I'm your host, as always, Toby Logsdon. God bless you guys. Welcome back. It's been a long time since we've had a podcast, or it feels like it to me. I know that some of you uh, are, are still getting caught up with the podcast from you know from the years past, so uh, it doesn't feel like there's been a break for you. But actually, we've had a, a two-week break here. Uh, I, I think you guys realize, I, I hope you guys realize, that things have been absolutely crazy on my end. Uh, the last you heard from me, I was in Arkansas. Right now, I'm, I'm actually sitting in the sanctuary of Linwood Evangelical Free Church here in Linwood, Washington, where I have been called to be uh, the new senior pastor and uh, preached my first sermon as the, as the senior pastor yesterday. And uh, man, let me just tell you, it was... It's been a crazy two weeks. It really has been. We got our truck, you know, a, a couple weeks ago on oh, what was it, Wednesday or something like that, and we had a couple days to load it up. And uh, yeah, I, all I can say is the last two or three weeks have just gone by me like a whirlwind. Some of the weather that we faced in uh, in Wyoming, especially, but along the the trip between Arkansas and uh, the, the Seattle area, basically, some of it was pretty crazy. But especially Wyoming, they get some crazy crosswinds there, and um, you know there there were these crosswinds that were blowing cars off the road, and I've never seen anything like that. And the thing with Wyoming is there's like nothing there. So it's not like you can say, well, let's just pull over at the next gas station and, and we'll wait. No, it's like, you know, 60 miles to the next gas station. So you just keep going. And, uh, yeah, I've never driven in conditions like that. They would blow this snow across the road and it would look kind of like a big sandstorm, uh, except there was also ice on the road. And, uh, yeah, my car doesn't do well with ice. I'm, you know, from Las Vegas. I'm not real, uh, confident driving on ice, but yeah, we had to just push on and keep going. And, you know, sometimes that's how life is. But, uh, you know, we got out here safely. It took about five days to get out here. It was uh, about 2,150 miles, give or take. Uh, so it was a long trip, but, uh, man, I am thrilled to be here. Uh, just real quick, a couple things that I want to get out of the way. First of all, I've, I've received some questions from you guys asking if I'm going to be continuing the podcast now that I am here at, as the, the pastor at Linwood Evangelical Free Church, and the answer is absolutely, absolutely, we will keep doing the podcasts. I've been, uh, you know, we, we've been going strong for four years doing these podcasts. Uh, you know, we started on, I don't know, February 19th or something like that, 2007, uh, and we're not even done with Romans yet. <laughs> so yeah, the podcasts will continue. I have no intention whatsoever of, uh, of bringing that to an end. Um, every now and then I might need to take a little bit of a break like I have the last couple weeks, but yeah, there's, there's no reason to, uh, to think that I can't continue doing this. So yeah, 
the podcasts will continue. I also wanted to recommend a podcast to you guys for you guys to be listening to. Uh, one of my good friends on uh, on Facebook, uh, his name is John. He does a podcast on Peter. It's called the John Christian Doe Bible Study Podcast, and he's doing a study on First Peter. So I would strongly recommend that you check his stuff out too. And uh, he's a neat guy. He loves the Lord. Uh, his doctrine is solid. So yeah, check his stuff out too if you're interested in other podcasts. If you're interested and expanding your horizons with what you listen to. He's a neat guy. I think you'll enjoy him. Anyway, we have so much to cover today. Believe me, as I spent all this time on the road, I had so much time to think about this lesson and what I wanted to say in this lesson. So it's going to go maybe a little bit over. We'll see. I'll try to cut it as short as I can, but I've got a lot of ideas that I wanted to incorporate into this lesson. So let's go ahead and get started with our lesson today with a quick word of prayer. Lord God, I thank you so much for this time. I thank you that we have the opportunity to continue in this ministry. And I pray, Lord, that today our lesson would speak to each one of us about how to respond when we've been wronged. Be glorified in this lesson, Lord. Help us to become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if there's one thing that I've learned about relationships throughout my life, it's that I'm not going to to be able to make everybody like me. It's just not going to happen. You know what? I've, I've learned to be okay with that. It is what it is sometimes. No big deal. I think, you know, also, if we're being honest with ourselves and, and with each other, we can also admit that it's not just a one-way street because there are just some people that we don't like for whatever reason. Sometimes that's just the way it is. But rather than trying to convince such people to like me. However, I've learned that, you know, maybe the best thing that I can do is just be true to myself instead of trying to be something or someone that I'm really not, since there are a lot of people who might not like me simply because they know who I am and they know what I represent. And most of the time, if someone doesn't like me, it's not that they don't like me. It's not that they dislike me. It's the fact that I represent Jesus to them, and for whatever reason, they hate and reject him. And it's this type of thing that has resulted in persecution for many Christ followers in various times throughout history and in various places around the world throughout history. Uh, Persecution is an issue that Paul has touched on several times here in our study on the book of Romans. Now, why do you think that is? Well, it's because the earliest followers of Jesus in the first century were undergoing extreme persecution by the Roman Empire. Paul knew that it was important that the subject be addressed thoroughly so that his brothers and sisters in Christ would know how to respond when they're persecuted. In fact, he even wrote in his second letter to Timothy, which was probably the last book that he wrote, he wrote, quote, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. In other words, we can and we should expect that some people just won't like us because of our identity in Jesus. Matthew records Jesus as saying, you are the light of the world to his disciples. That's Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. But the apostle John records Jesus proclaiming that he is the light of the world and adds Jesus telling us that, quote, Everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed, end quote. That's from John chapter 3, verse 20. See, Jesus told us that we're the light of the world because Jesus is the light of the world, and he's working in us 
and through us to reach out to those in darkness. So no doubt about it, we can expect and we should expect that some people will love darkness so much that they'll hate us. And sometimes their hatred will boil over beyond being just a contained emotion. Sometimes they'll actually act on those emotions and they'll either say or do something with the intent of causing us some type of harm. And it's important that we know how to respond when that happens because it's pretty much unavoidable. That's what Paul was saying to Timothy. Now, Paul has spent chapter 12 instructing us in selfless and righteous living. When all is well, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to be at peace and to do the right thing in all circumstances. It's much more difficult, however, when we're faced with someone persecuting us. It's in those circumstances that it becomes the most difficult to be a living sacrifice unto God. Paul has already instructed us to bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. In other words, if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't act on the instinct of the flesh, which is to seek to pay someone back an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. No. Instead, it's possible to win the persecutor over for Christ by persisting in hope and love toward them. Seeking revenge against someone will only make them hate us more, and it'll make us something of a hypocrite in their eyes, if we're being honest. Now, as Christ followers, we have to understand that nothing, no issue, is so worth seeking revenge that we put additional obstacles between them, that is our persecutors, and their coming to Christ putting their faith in him for their salvation. And that's why Paul writes here in Romans chapter 12, verse 17, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Now that's easier said than done, right? But it's important that we get this because we should have nothing to do with evil whatsoever. No excuses, whether it's provoked or not. If we do something evil to someone even if it's because they did evil to us first. If we do something evil, it's sin. But this really can be a difficult one because payback is something that's kind of ingrained in us. You know what I mean? It's something that sometimes we might not even realize that we do. You know, somebody cuts you off in traffic, and what do you do? Well, maybe you throw an arm up and you say, come on, you knucklehead, or you know, maybe you mumble something under your breath that you wouldn't mumble to your mother. You know what I'm talking about? You know, just saying it makes it, uh, you know, feel like we've gotten back at them to some degree, whether they realize it or not, even if it's just a little bit. And while we might think it's harmless enough, if we're saying something evil towards someone or doing something evil to pay them back, then we've allowed their actions to cause us to sin. No excuses. Now, we all know that fighting fire with fire doesn't work and two wrongs don't make a right. We all know that the cycle of retaliation has to end somewhere, but this is the type of life we've been called to live, selfless lives. If we're seeing people with Jesus' eyes, we need to understand that this is probably the greatest possible demonstration of selflessness that exists. Paying back evil for evil doesn't actually solve anything. All it does is create further problems for us, or worse, worse than that, we become another reason that those who persecute us refuse to put their faith in Jesus. Now, there are a couple of really important reasons for us to not pay back evil for evil that we have to understand. First and foremost, it assumes that God isn't taking notice of the matter. 
The issue is ultimately between them and God. It's not between us and them. It's not between us and our persecutors. It's between our persecutors and God. You'll receive rewards in heaven for enduring the hardships of persecution. And their persecution is actually something that they will have to deal with God about when they stand before him someday. The second reason is that there will always be some who don't realize that somebody else did evil to us first. They'll just see what we've done to them. And you know what? This is a lesson that I've tried to teach my kids over and over again, and it's one that my parents uh, tried to teach me too. You know, when I was growing up, my sister used to love to provoke me simply because she knew that she could. It was easy enough to do. And my parents never seemed to notice when she would provoke me. But the second that I retaliated, what do you think happened? Oh, you can bet that they caught it every single time. And with my kids, you know, it's the same thing. I hear or I I see my son retaliate for something. I don't realize that he's retaliating. It just looks like he's, you know, bickering with or, or poking at his sister for whatever reason, maybe for no reason at all. But I don't always see his sister provoking him. Now, of course, this is commonplace among siblings. And honestly, you know, no real harm is typically done, not usually. But for us, the gospel is at stake. Not only does retaliation on our part stir up the possibility of us losing credibility and thus the gospel losing credibility, but it can lead to an increase in our persecution. And that's why Paul instructed Timothy to pray for kings and for those in authority. It was so that those in authority wouldn't bring persecution or any other sort of trouble upon the church and would allow the followers of Jesus to live peaceful and quiet lives. That's from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. See, any disruption of peaceful and quiet lives raised the possibility of the spreading of the gospel being hindered. So rather than seeking retribution, Paul instructs us to respect what is right in the sight of all men or all people. Now, the Greek word that gets translated as right here can also be translated as noble or honorable. People will notice, people will notice honorable, noble, right behavior when it's in the face of persecution. And you know what? It'll make them wonder what's causing us to do that. The fact is that repaying evil for evil makes us no better than our persecutors. But people will notice if you continue acting honorably towards someone who despises you or persecutes you. Now, Paul continues writing in verse 18, chapter 12, verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Now, let's notice, first of all, that Paul doesn't say, be at peace with all believers. No, he says all men. We've kind of already covered that back in verses 9 and 10, where we are instructed to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. No, Paul is saying that the peace that we have with God should be pouring out of us in every direction toward believers and non-believers alike. See, Paul fully understands that when it comes to some people, it doesn't matter what we do, they're still not going to to like us. But here's the thing. Ultimately, we're not responsible for whether people like us or not. And we're not responsible for the way people treat us. We're only responsible for how we react in the face of such adversity. In the civil rights movement of the mid-20th century, there were two major African-American figures who were seeking equal rights for African-Americans. There was Malcolm X, and there was Martin Luther King Jr. Both men had the same goal, 
equal rights, but they had completely different means by which they sought to reach that goal. Malcolm X viewed the movement as a type of war and was willing to do pretty much anything necessary to reach his goal. So he's quoted as having said, quote, Our objective is complete freedom, justice, and equality by any means necessary, end quote. Now, that any means necessary part is the very thing that Paul is instructing us to avoid. Paul knows where that road leads, and that's reflected in another quote by Malcolm X, where he said, quote, I am not against using violence in self-defense. I don't call it violence when it's self-defense. I call it intelligence, end quote. He also said, quote, I'm nonviolent with those who are nonviolent with me. But when you drop that violence on me, then you've made me go insane, and I'm not responsible for what I do, end quote. That was Malcolm X's means to the end. Martin Luther King Jr., on the other hand, sought peaceful resolution in the civil rights movement. He organized peaceful protests and even won a Nobel Peace Prize. Dr. King is quoted as having said, quote, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that, end quote. So, in other words, Martin Luther King Jr. recognized that hating someone back for hating you doesn't solve the problem. He also said, quote, I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word in reality. That is why right, temporarily defeated, is stronger than evil, triumphant, end quote. So two men who were enduring the same circumstances but sought to bring an end to those circumstances in totally different ways. Which one was ultimately more successful? Well, I'd have to argue that Martin Luther King Jr. was more successful and more influential, and it was because he sought peace with all men rather than war with anyone who doesn't like you or does wrong toward you. See, in the perfect world, nobody would dislike anybody, right? Nobody would dislike anybody, and nobody would seek to harm anyone else. But that's not where we live. We live in a sinful broken world. And that renders the possibility of everyone getting along, everyone being at peace, real peace with one another, not just unlikely, but impossible. Our job, our calling as followers of Christ isn't to make people like us. It's to live for Christ. And for that reason, to put our selfish ambitions and desires aside for his sake, for the sake of the gospel. Jesus suffered the greatest injustice of all, right? And yet he endured it because our salvation was worth it to him. Jesus died for the very people who persecute us as well. Yes, the love of God is offered even to those who hate our guts. And if we're really willing to set aside our desire for revenge, and if we're willing to at least try, I mean really try, to love people who hate us the way that God loves them, we keep the doors to the gospel open. Rather than seeking revenge... Dismiss the temptation to do evil and pray for them and let peace and kindness prevail. Why would we do that? Well, Paul answers that question next, writing in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And he continues in verse 20, But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Well, there's a pretty good reason to avoid the temptation to seek revenge. Paul tells us that when we take matters into our own hands, we're not trusting that God will deal with the issue, and we don't leave room 
for God's wrath. The fact is that our personal demands for justice upon those who have done wrong to us are tainted by things like hurt feelings or wounded pride and a desire to pay someone back plus some. When we're tempted to seek our own justice, we need to remember that nothing is escaping God's attention in the matter. When we act as judge and jury and and executioner, it makes it more difficult for us to let go. When it's in God's hands, we're released from any animosity that we hold or, get this, the animosity which holds us. The challenge here is to trust the Lord with the matter. You see, God's wrath is never spiteful. It's always completely fair, and it penetrates deeper than anything you or I can do. In this life, God's wrath always has the goal of bringing the sinner to repentance. And so the sinner's sins haunt them. They weigh on their conscience, causing sleepless nights and unbelievable heartache. God's wrath makes the sinner uncomfortable and miserable about their sin. That's something that we can't do. But why does his wrath do that? For the sake of restoration and reconciliation. When I was a kid, there was a a guy that I have to admit, I was totally heartless toward. I mean, I was really, really mean to this guy. And after I became a follower of Jesus, I remembered this guy and what I had both said and done to him. And I, I just have to tell you, I was completely overwhelmed by guilt. In just the last year, I got a, a friend request on Facebook from him. That was kind of strange, but yeah, he requested that I be his friend on Facebook. And let me just tell you, that guilt was still heavy on my conscience. And of course, I, I accepted the friend request and immediately sat down to write him an email expressing how deeply sorry I was for the way that I had sinned against him in my youth. And he, believe me, he, he remembered those things. And I'm sure he remembered them very well. Yes, my conscience for what I said and did to him was going through years of guilt and then having to humble myself as I begged him for forgiveness. That was more than he could have done at the time to get back at me. Thankfully, he did forgive me. That's how God's wrath works, friends. And when we take the matters into our own hands, we do so with the idea that somehow our vengeance is going to be greater and more uh, penetrating than the Lord's vengeance. As Chuck Swindoll says, quote, If that person is ultimately doomed to suffer God's eternal wrath, they are those we pity, not those with whom we dream of settling scores. So God's wrath is always redemptive and seeking reconciliation. See, forgiveness is one of the most powerful weapons that we have in our arsenal. It's right up there with things like prayer. And friends, I would encourage you to constantly keep those two weapons, forgiveness and prayer, keep those two weapons polished and sharp, ready to be used on a moment's notice, even against our worst enemies. And here's something else to remember. There's no limit on how many times we should use them. Yes, on the same person. Jesus was confronted with this issue by Peter. So many of the, the exchanges between Jesus and Peter are the types of material that, I don't know, you'd expect from like the Three Stooges or something. You know what I mean? I mean, Peter wasn't the smartest guy in the world. He wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer, but he loved Jesus. And his life was transformed by that love. But right after Jesus gets done telling the disciples, quote, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. That's from Matthew chapter 18, verses 18 to 19. So Peter sees an opportunity here, right? 
he sees this as a chance to get his way. And so he asks Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Now, that's funny. In other words, Peter's saying, Lord, I'm sick of having to forgive my brother. At what point can I just send him to hell? I mean, that's what it all boils down to, right? Well, the answer that Jesus gives him must have absolutely broken Peter's heart. Jesus said, quote, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Hmm, math tells us that's 490 times. But the fact is that if you've counted someone's wrongs all the way up to 490, you know what? You haven't actually forgiven them even once. We're called to love and to be at peace with all men. And Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, that love keeps no record of wrongs. If you've forgiven someone, in other words, you're not keeping a scorecard. And we'll come back to that in just a moment here. But Paul's next instruction is to not only give the matter to the Lord, but to return kindness for evil. Because by doing so, he says, we're heaping burning coals on their head. Now, of course, this is a figure of speech, but you get the point. When you're kind and when you're hospitable towards someone who has done wrong to you, their sense of guilt increases. You know, I recently saw a video posted on YouTube of this man who was being sentenced for murder. And as he was being sentenced, many of the family members of the deceased were spewing these angry, hateful words out toward this man. And this man looked like he simply couldn't have cared less. He couldn't care any less than he already did. Their anger didn't phase him, didn't break him one bit. It didn't cause him to feel remorseful at all. But then... Then came one woman who spent about a minute telling the man that she forgives him for what he's done. And you know what happened? The man broke down in tears, sobbing right there in front of her. This woman's courageous grace and courageous forgiveness caused the man's sin to weigh so heavily upon his conscience that he went from appearing strong as stone to completely broken in spirit. Paul summarizes his instruction on dealing with those who persecute us by writing here in Romans chapter 12, verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't do what is evil because evil's been done to you. That's a formula that's been tried and tried throughout history, and time after time, it's been proven to fail miserably. In the end, repaying evil for evil will hurt you just as much, if not more, than it hurts your enemy. And don't keep score with people. You know, when someone does or or says something that tears you up inside, and so you you, kind of check that off, and you're like, oh, I'm going to remember that that happened. So you just kind of bottle it up inside, and then they do something else and and something else, and you've got this running scorecard going. You know who that ultimately ends up hurting? You know who that ultimately ends up destroying? The person who's keeping score. That bitterness will add up and add up until it's overflowing in your life. And rather being a fountain of life and peace and joy, you become overwhelmed by anger and bitterness, which tends to get misdirected all over the place, causing innocent people to get hurt. And I think that's why the author of Hebrews wrote, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. That's from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Because you see, when you let go and you give the situation to God, you're able to overcome evil with good. So friends, let me encourage you 
to let the Holy Spirit strengthen you to walk in peace with all people because you haven't allowed bitterness to take root, but you've kept your testimony strong and pure by doing your part to be at peace with everyone, even those who have done you wrong. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your Son who suffered the greatest injustice of all for the sake of saving us. Lord, I pray that you would give us the same strength to stand strong in the face of adversity, in the face of persecution, and in the face of people who just don't like us. Teach us to have a strong testimony that it would glorify you because we refuse to match evil for evil, to pay back evil for evil. God, we love you. We live for you. We pray that you will continue to teach us to live selfless lives, but to live lives that honor you and glorify you in everything we do and in every circumstance. Lord, we thank you so much for this time. Thank you so much for teaching us this lesson. We ask, Lord, that you would protect and preserve this message for your own glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us, and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today and keep growing closer to Jesus. Beautiful, you're beautiful, your love is sweet and beautiful and I will stay here waiting for beautiful. Beautiful, you're beautiful, your love is wild and all I need is more of my beautiful Jesus love set worshippers you want love set worshippers so alive